com- comes from John 21. Thanks. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. For you believers, he's risen. Happy Easter to you. We continue um, in, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and we continue in our Easter sermon series with the pinnacle event of the Gospels, the resurrection of Jesus. As I looked over the resurrection story, Jesus rising from the grave, thinking about what I was going to preach this morning, I recognized that it is really a group of resurrection stories. That after his resurrection, that Jesus, that Sunday morning, that Jesus showed up at, at various times in various ways for a period of about 40 days. So the Gospels are filled in their end chapters with lessons about what it meant and means for Jesus to have risen. To have risen as he surprises and interacts with his disciples at different times and in different settings. And one story caught my attention. And that was the story of Jesus appearing to seven disciples who decide to go fishing. Now, I was drawn to this passage. Some of you who know me, not because of its deep theological truths or anything like that, even though they're there, but because of springtime. And I love to fish, though I suck at it. Right? But my hope is restored every year, right? This is the year of the big catches, right? This is the year to to find that 
fish that I'm going to mount on my wall. This is the year, y'all. And so whether you're a fisherman or right now a gardener or lawn enthusiast or lawn person because your HOA is going to take pictures and report you, whether you're a runner who's, who's been waiting for this warm weather or for some of you in here, and we'll see later after summer, whether you're a grill master, right? About to hit that grill. Invite me. I'll be there. I'm the eat master, right? <laughs> Springtime, like Easter, has a tendency to fill you with new hope. Maybe it's seeing whether what you have planted or done at the gym, some of you who actually continue to follow to your New Year's resolution, waited for all winter for those grass seeds you planted in the fall, waiting to see whether it'll come to fruition. But with hope and with spring and even with Easter comes the other side of things. Anxiety for results and the deep disappointment sometimes with, with your attempts. I planted a lot of grass seed. I went out, I dethatched it, I aerated it, I did everything I was supposed to do. Spent a lot of money on grass seed. And I remember saying, man, my grass just needs to come together. And someone says to me, it's probably already come back by now. No, it hasn't, right? Lots of weeds. Some grass, but also a lot of disappointment that other things are growing in there as well. But what this passage promises is that Jesus, in the face of our anxieties and stress, rose from the grave. That he rose from the grave to give us something that won't disappoint or die. He came to give us resurrection rest. Resurrection, rest. Rest in our anxiety. Rest from our work and rest in his presence. The Bible tells us in these beginning verses that, that seven of Jesus' disciples go fishing at night. Because th that's what, what you did back then. And, and it seems like you caught more fish in the Sea of Galilee then and when you went fishing. And by... By break of dawn, after fishing all night, that they caught nothing. And that this happens in verse 4 through 6, if you would read with me. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Just in case you didn't know the background on the disciples, and Peter especially, these disciples were fishermen by trade. This is what they do, y'all, and a stranger, because they don't know Jesus yet. Just some dude passing by says, try the other side. The other side, really, dude? Like, the other side? On the other side of the boat, like, fish right over here, and then on this side, this of us? We fishermen. We know how this works. You on the shore shouting out directions, and he even calls them children, pointing out their futility and failure. Children, do you have any fish? 
Come on, if we had fish, we'd be on a shore grilling like you. And you do have to wonder why Jesus, supposedly the nicest human being that ever lived, would ask a question like this. I believe so that they could see their emptiness without him being the living Lord in their lives. Now, this has happened to me a million times because I don't have a boat and I'm an avid shore fisherman. One of the least productive ways to catch big fish. And the worst thing that someone can say as they pass by, what do y'all always say, right? You over there walking your dog. Hey, you caught anything? <laughs> Hate that question. Right? You, you, have, have you caught anything? Uh, we, we went somewhere. I'm trying to think where we went for a vacation and, and, and our little apartment condo thing was on a lake, I'd get up every morning, right? And then people would be walking by, hey, you caught anything today? Nope. And I just, boy, it's, and, and, and we really it's hard when I come back and, and Kelly's there back and hey, did you catch anything? Right? And, 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 and then what's really hard is I return with nothing and, and, and she offers some advice on how to catch fish. <laughs> well, have you tried this? Or, or maybe it's the wrong time of day. Or was there another lake? Or the worst, did you see what other guys were using? Right? <laughs> it just reveals that I really am not good at it. And this is sometimes difficult about faith in Jesus, right? And for some of you, what's difficult about Christianity is the ministry of the church for many of us. And some of you call it judgmentalism and others hypocrisy. And there are all kinds of names for what Jesus continues to do today that he did back then. He's kind of walking up and down the shores of our lives. And he asks us questions and calls out to you and me in ways that reveal that we are empty. That ask how doing life on your own working for you. That's right. That's right. Pointing out when we, sometimes when we are down and out, right? Jesus seems to always pick that time, right? Your Christian friend always calls you when things are bad, right? Your mom and dad, right? The Christian ones, you know, they always calling you when things are bad, right? And say, how's that working out for you? And though we've worked hard and done all the right things to better ourselves and been spiritual, then, then guess what? Some of it has failed to, to truly fill us in the way God created us to be filled. That, that, he, Jesus is pointing out that, that you and I have this net, if you will, in your soul that for many of us is lacking or empty. That there, that, that is, is there but often blind to us or, or we are too proud to acknowledge and see that without Jesus standing and speaking from and through where he does on the shore, right? In the Bible, in the ministry of the church, all those things we hate and reject some of us through the Holy Spirit to our hearts, to a friend or a neighbor saying, my child. You have empty nets, don't you? Your life is one-sided and thus empty in some way. Yeah, you're the captain of your own ship, right? You truly found what will finally make you fulfilled and happy. You got married to this person thinking this will do it. Dating this one or having the dream job or making this much money or having your kids make you proud. 
or being all spiritual and religious on your own. You know, you're the one who has all the real answers about Jesus. All philosophical. You know, you're not falling for the same stuff that you believe trapped mama and daddy into conservative Christianity. You got brunch and yoga now. You intellectual. You went back to, 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 to way deep, right? I, I remember the original black man and all it is in Egypt and Africa and all this kind of crazy and five percenters and a he he Hebrew Israelites and, and this and that. Come on, man. Because you ain't falling for the same conservative white evangelical church tricks. This Easter, Jesus calls from the shore. Children, caught anything? Everything all right yet? Y'all good? How's that working for you? Still having to work hard? Still ain't found what you want? That thing you thought would work, still making you work twice as hard? Still having to defend yourself? Still waking up lonely? Children, after it's all said done, don't get mad at me. Jesus says it to me every day, right? When I try to do something on my own. After all is said and done, guess what? I'll say it for you, empty nets. And it's tempting to ignore and stay away. Some of y'all just love to pout. I do. I love pouting. Things ain't working out for me, right? Pouting about why does God seem like he want to shame me? And, and why point out my shame and emptiness and futility? And finding ways to silence. We look to find ways to silent, silent that irritating voice of God, right? Maybe God is putting you and drawing you and put me in a position to experience things that reveal how empty we really are. And sometimes we don't and won't know it without some broken finances. <laughs> some broken relationships. Some disaster. Our vices being out of control. You can't stop drink, drinking or smoking this, right? Our eating and drinking and sexual lives and our health physically and mentally and emotionally hitting a hard spot. It is often right there, right? That the living Lord says, caught anything? Children, you've been working all night. You've been working all your life. What you got? And it reveals not only our empty souls, but our empty attempts at feeling fulfilled. Now, the Bible tells us, and there's a real irony here. Okay? Because the Bible tells us that after Jesus is prodding about whether they've caught anything, that he suggests what? That they throw their nets on the other side. Now, where you sort of brought this up, but you, you have to wonder why these professional fishermen listen to a stranger. Not because he's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus, the Bible tells us but because they're tired. They're discouraged. They're wasted from working all night and getting nothing. And it's almost morning and it's time to stop fishing anyway. There's an okay, why not? 
Let's be honest here. This isn't faith. It's futility. It's desperation. We'll do anything. Isn't it interesting that the answer for many of us for emptiness and anxiety we feel in life is more work? Just the, some, the, the, the right kind of work this time. Something different will fix it. Jesus and, and God's stuff, right, has not delivered yet. It's been all night. I'm tired, man. I, I've, I've been there, y'all. Now, I live there. This life can give hardship and empty nets. And it's easy to turn to, once again, a new relationship. A new house, a new car, a change of setting, even rebellion, right? A a new vice, running somewhere else. Some of us is just being a jerk or developing a new theory of God or a belief or philosophy of living. More money, more this. Guess what? Empty nets again. And I, like many of you today, I get that. The midlife and quarter life for some of us crisis is real. And if you're younger, it may be hard to understand completely. But mourning is about to break for some of us. (laughs) And mourning is about to break for, in some way, for all of us. I don't know about you, sometimes I get stressed. And despaired in so many ways about how my life has turned out. Not just because we struggling financially. Not just because after 21 years, we still got to go to marriage counseling. Just because sometimes we got to look at each other and say, are we together really just for the kids? Do, do we love each other? We good shoulder to shoulder. What else is going on, right? still have serious parenting issues, right? And that just adds to the stress. But I fear, you know, like many of you, that that we have worked. And and as we pull in the net of eternal, lasting, soul-level worth, that behind my financial and relational and work struggles is emptiness. And all that I sought to do in thee, so much hard work and struggle for what feels like nothing, for so much emptiness and now more work. And like the disciples who went fishing, and like many of us, I've listed so many strangers from the shore. Of course, the loudest one being my own voice. And worn myself out trying to find peace, and contentment, and rest for myself. To just come out exhausted, and empty, and condemned, and some of y'all, just another idea. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll go fishing and I'll cast my rod out there. And I'm like, something's on the line. Wow, I got something. And know what I pull in? Somebody else's line. Just another way to catch fish that I can't catch. So some of you are exhausting your attempts at fulfillment. And you know what you've pulled in? Just another way to come up empty again. Somebody else's story, right? Of futility. Somebody else saying, do it this way. Do it that way. And this stuff botched too. 
But this passage is not about the bad news of our emptiness. And empty intents, not just, just about the bad news, at being able to, to rest the way God intended, but about the good news that Jesus got up, y'all, and lives to come right into our anxiety of living, right into the story and circumstances of our emptiness. I say this because Easter is about Jesus rising to the occasion. And rising to meet us in the morning of our despair. And addressing our need and failure to get rest God has for people like us. That the stranger on the shore is no stranger at all about our struggles and our fears. That for our empty hearts, there's an empty tomb, right? So the Bible says that they throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And that this happens, look at verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were far from, they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Have to be honest. Easter and these kind of scriptures, they can be hard. Maybe for some of you it's the same. Talking about resurrection power and changed lives and miracle fish being caught. And transformation and defeating sin and death and Satan. And there's sort of this voice in my head saying, blah, 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 right? But, but I can't help but think that, that, you know, I would be fine too if my net was filled with fish, right? That the most restful person is the person Jesus has blessed with stuff. Right? That, that, come on, God has put your life, your metaphorical net, on the more acceptable side of gender or race or cultural or economic lines. Of course you're going to be happy and slappy in Christianity, right? Look, this, this fish miracle was not about the fish miracle. Jesus used this miracle to say and signal what? That he was alive. That, that, that was him on the shore, that, that he was alive for them and thus with them and in life struggles. This was about filling them with the right kind of grace, the right kind of blessing, the exact kind of blessing, 153 fish that wouldn't break the net, right? The perfect blessing that would make them recognize and realize and run to him as Lord who is alive with resurrection power and resurrection rest. The Bible says that, that the fish miracle signaled it, it, that it was the Lord. John says, he's alive. God has not left us empty. He lives to give. And it undoes Peter. Literally, he jumps out the boat almost naked, right? Peter's reaction tells us something. That the resurrection rest that Jesus comes to give us is about being made alive. Right? Being energized, 
being awakened and undone and outdone by the fact that God is not a stranger to or estranged us in our struggle, that the Lord has not left us alone, even though we've got gone fishing for worth without him, apart from him, that the Lord has not left us empty, that the Lord got up so we can have hope for the empty nets of our lives. And it makes sense why Peter jumps out of his exhaustion, right, and in joy to Jesus. On the shore is the only one who knows me, Peter thought. He's the only one who has defeated death to fulfill me. He is the only one, the only one who can fill my empty nets, the the empty nets of my soul. The only one who knows exactly how much I can bear and how much I need to rest, to to find wholehearted divine rest for my exhaustion, my futility, my failure at fixing myself. That one is alive, alive, y'all, on the shores of my life. And Peter is saying, I will be undone and unashamed in my brokenness, all in the water, sloshing around, swimming for a hundred yards to get him because he is alive to receive me just like I am. And ironically, Peter's exuberance and joy was a picture of rest. Because his hope and trust in the fact that the Lord was with them and had not left them, and Jesus was the only one who could or, or would give him rest, right? Resurrection rest produces worship. It produces action. It produces activism towards the Lord and each other and new life to believe in us. It doesn't mean to not be an activist for the gospel. One of the critiques of Christianity I've heard is that we just want folk to be content. Just be quiet. Just be still. No. The resurrection rest produces a vibrancy and rage against dying. That the emptiness of the emptiness that just drains you. Rest is being fueled and fired up by the knowledge that you have a resurrected Lord in your heart and lives and world. That he is Lord and he is running things. My direction to some of you and to me. Be desperate again. Wake up and come to him. Come to him again. He has not abandoned you. He is standing on the shore alive as ever for you and me. And with no shame of how you come, by all means, come out of your empty and exhausting living and to Jesus. Because Jesus is alive and Jesus is there to be reached. Because Jesus is alive. You can go from realizing, recognizing that you needed a prayer life and actually have one. You can go from realizing, recognize that you need to hear from God and actually be able to listen to him. Because Jesus is alive, you can go from realizing you need help and power from God and having a living God have and hold you in his powerful hands. It means you can realize and recognize that in this world, go beyond realizing and recognizing that in this world we are starving and and stealing worth and dignity and finally be revitalized by a living God to move and cause movement in the world. And look what happens when they run and come to Jesus. Verse 9. 
when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. You know, only a fisherman knows, like you would just say, well, they got a caught a bunch of fish. Nah, when you ain't caught nothing all night and you finally caught something, you know how long your fish is. You know how much it weighs. It usually weighs a couple pounds more than it really is. Like, you know what it looked like. I can remember to this day, as a little kid, some of the big fish I caught. That means I hadn't caught that many, but I do remember, right? I remember what it looked like. I remember what I was wearing, right? 153 big fish, right? And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus feeds them from his own fish. And it says and demonstrates loud and clear I live to give you resurrection life from my work on your behalf and not from your work. That the fish from the net was an important lesson of Jesus' power and place in a life of struggle and anxiety. But he doesn't need their fish beyond it being a sacrifice and result of obedience to him and a display and assurance that Jesus can provide all you need in his power in this life to rest in the way he would have you. But what Jesus wants is to feed you and serve you in ways you can't. Think about it. While they were out there all night, Jesus already caught some fish. I just wonder how he did it. He, I don't know if he had a rod. I, I don't know what. He, he's the Lord, you know. He, he might have been like fish. Jump in my hand. We don't know. He already caught some fish. Enough of them. And it's, it's, and, and then he cooks it, right? That Jesus had maybe paid for some fish. He built a fire and he made fish and bread for them. The Lord did this, right? But let me say this. That was the best fish and bread they ever had in their lives. Because Jesus met them and fed them at their lowest, lowest point of exhaustion with grace. This meal says that Jesus' resurrection opened, what Jesus' resurrection opened for us is food and filling, like fulfillment for our souls that we can only get from him. That there is grace and forgiveness and fellowship and rest that can fill and heal me and comfort me and provide pain relief and some of the deepest scars and disappointments you and I can feel. And here's the truth. It is all in his recipe of sovereign care for us. 
You know the best meal? The one you don't have to and can't fix for yourself. The meal you don't have the energy or courage or faith to give what you need to make it happen. Sometimes when my wife Kelly cooks, even, even when I see the individual ingredients before it's done, right? It's hard to have faith that the stuff I'm seeing is actually going to come to fruition in some way, right? You just see all the ingredients laid out, chicken over here, some ingredients over here, this and that, and you're like, I don't know how it's going to happen, right? I think in our lives, it's so easy to see what Christ is saying, what, what, the, the things that will give us rest, the ingredients of his grace, and we kind of look at it and think, not that. How is all this going to work? How is this all going to come together? And, and like magic, how she took that stuff I saw and made it work like this. My goodness, Jesus is perf perfectly pulling together, not just the food, but the perfect meal, y'all. The perfect situation, the perfect mix of circumstances and grace and scriptural and spiritual ingredients and, and th that will provide, will fill us for, for the failure and pain and emptiness and exhaustion we experience in life. If you need forgiveness, it's in there because it's in him. If you need unconditional love and acceptance, it's in there because it's in him. Do you need community? He, he comes to give it. Do you need companionship? He lives to bring it. You need life beyond this life, eternal life. You need all that is bad and broken to be healed and undone for all eternity. It is in the risen and resurrected Lord's recipe for rest for your soul. And yes, we look at scripture. I believe he shared that recipe for resurrection rest with his apostles that we see in the book of Acts, which is passed down in the graces of the church and by the Holy Spirit. The, the resurrection rest of the living Lord feeds and comes to us and in us through the word and the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, the fellowship of believers, the shepherding of the church, right? And all the ways God brings that together and, and sort of roasts it and heats it and cooks it under the flame and presence of the Holy Spirit and serves it to us by God, the Father, through his Son, and we receive it by faith. And I know some of you are thinking, man, here's the same stuff. Somebody going to preach. We're going to sing some songs. Somebody going to pray. They're going to tell me to go to community group. They're going to say, come to children's ministry, men's Bible study. Same stuff. Jesus is calling us to be filled. And he, see, here's the key. He's living to make that stuff come together to work for, to fill your soul. Don't look at the individual ingredients. You're not the Lord. <laughs> You're not alive to figure out how to make it work. He is so alive. He knows your individual situation. He knows what era you're living in. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what's going on. He's on the shore. He can see it. He's not a stranger to what's going on. He's not a stranger from your experience. And he is saying, come ashore and eat what I have prepared for you. Quit rebellion, rebelling. Quit thinking you can do it. Think, 
Quit thinking, well, I'm going to find the right stuff to fill my soul. He has already made a meal for you, crazy. Come and eat. It's an Easter dinner. All the time, y'all. It's a soul food occasion all the time. A soul food occasion. Like, you know how you, at Thanksgiving and, and, and Easter and Christmas, you, you get that soul food where you don't eat it all the time? It's, it's all the time with the Lord Jesus for the weary and the broken and the lonely and the isolated. And guess what? For you cynical folks. You're tired of waiting, folks. It's been all night, Lord. Jesus is coming to eat. Nothing fix, fixes a bad day in the yard like coming in and having some good food, right? Isn't it funny how food fixes it? You can tell I believe that. Right? Food fixes it. But it's not just the food. It's the food experience, right? You know what the end goal of Jesus, of why Jesus got up? In the end game of resurrection rest. I threw end game on the end purpose. Resting. Amari did it on Friday, so I had to throw an end game. Okay. Look, I got your minds someplace else. Okay. But, but look at these verses again in verse 12 and 13 with me. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And you know, when they say Jesus was revealed a third time, he had appeared to them as a group two other times before to Peter apparently one time alone and he's appearing all these different places and when it says he reveals it's almost like he's trying to teach us why he rose from the grave and in each story we learn a different reason why and what it means that he rose from the grave so what is the end game what's the end goal you know why Jesus got up from the grave so that we could rest with him and us. So he could rest with us and us with him. I've looked back on this and thought Jesus did all he did that morning. On the shore, yelling out, making them catch the fish and all of that. For one end goal. To be with them. To spend time with them. To enjoy them. To not only give them rest around his meal, but be at rest with them around this meal. Jesus' life, death, and then resurrection meant through him, you can be at rest with God. And that a holy, perfect, all-knowing God has come to be at rest with you. And get this. Be at rest, be fine, be good, be settled, and at home living within you and me, within our hearts. See, the thing that fills our emptiness is God coming to rest 
within us and with us, filling us with his Holy Spirit and us growing to receive and make more room for him. You see, sin and human invention has separated us from being at peace and living fulfilled and at rest. And it is all wrapped up in the state of our relationship with God. Are we at rest with him? And is he at rest with us? The resurrection not only ended the divide and strained relationship between us and God, it reconciled us. It made us children of God. It made us people who could come to the table. It made us a household of God. It gave us a seat around the charcoal grill of God. It made us able and free to rest and enjoy God like we couldn't apart from Jesus rising from the grave. Y'all knew when they sat at that table, when Peter ran out that boat, he wasn't right? Because not until later on was Peter actually restored by God. See, Peter had, had, had betrayed Jesus. He said, I don't know him, right, on the way to the cross. I don't know who this dude is. And even in the Bible, in the resurrection stories, it appears that Peter sort of ain't hanging out with the other disciples as much. He's living in shame, right? He's messed up so badly in his life over and over, right? The only way he could lead the disciples at that point was, y'all want to go fishing, right? He wasn't like, y'all want to go to a prayer meeting, right? Y'all want to hang around and pray and talk about Jesus? In fact, later in Acts, we realize Peter is the one who stood up among them and said, hey, let's pray. Let me preach. Let's pull it together. Let's build a church, right? Let's start something called the church. But until he sat down with Jesus, right? Because later Jesus confirms, Peter, I love you. I love you, Peter. You are right. You sit with God. God is at rest with you because I rose from the grave. Your sins are forgiven. You are no longer a traitor. You're my child. They were about to be sent out into the world. This meal with Jesus was the rest they needed to be right with God, to be at rest with God. So the rest of their lives, they could do, go on mission to make the world right with God. There is no writing of the world. There is no writing of your life. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you read. I don't care if you got PhD, ED, whatever you got. There is no writing without being right with God. Our dinner time can be a struggle. We're extremely busy. Everyone doing their own thing. Me, we all, I mean, we killing that internet broadband, ain't we? I mean, if they giving us a thousand whatever, we use a 999 in the Brown household. Everybody on their computers, everybody doing their own thing. Sometimes dinner can be late because everybody doing their own thing. Sometimes you get frustrated waiting for it. But there is a call. And we yell to the boys and sometimes yell at the boys. Right? We try to do our best to lure them away, yeah, from homework to eat. And harder, harder yet, a basketball, football game on TV. 
Or even harder yet, a video game, right? I'm almost there. I just need a few more minutes. I can't die, right? I can't pause. Or outside shooting hoops to come get the food they need to make it. That they will be comforted by. But most importantly, to just be with them. To hear from them. For the first time all day to kind of be able to look into their eyes. Hopefully into their souls. To be the one place in people that they can be at rest with without performing. At dinner, performance stops. Not having to worry about whether we love them or we'll reject them. But, but that the table, at the table, at dinner, from what and how they are being served, it all says we are at rest with each other. You can be filled with security and love and grace and mercy. And this is what it means to be right with God and have right relationship with God. And to be freed and be resurrected with Jesus. To enjoy God and have God enjoy you. And so many of us thought that being a Christian was about coming and trying to do all the right and good things. When God just wanted you to be made right with him so you can enjoy all his good things. Are you at rest with God? And God at rest with you? Because some of you aren't. And you're nervous around the things of God. Afraid of shame. Afraid of having an empty net in some way. I don't want to come back to God again. You know, if I get in the table, he's going to show me how bad I am. Stop trying to feed yourself and make yourself bring the right dish, right? God is not having a potluck here. Right? And sometimes Christianity becomes a potluck. You know you bring in chips. You know it. Let's just go ahead and say it. You bring it chips, man. Or a two-liter soda. You know you are. And you're even bringing no Coca-Cola, Pepsi. You're bringing Shasta. <laughs> you know you are. And you're only doing it so you can get to the ribs that somebody else brought. Hey, y'all. What's up? Where do I put the chips? And you'll be showing up after the appetizer portion already over. Nobody wants your chips. And then you know, come on, let's face it, y'all. When the thing over, you looking for that bag to take home, right? You'd be like leaving with a plate of food with meat, right? And your chips, see y'all, right? God knows how empty life can be. He knows your religion is not going to add up. Right? He knows you coming with the, the metaphorical version of chips spiritually and emotionally and mentally. I don't know who told y'all Christianity was a potluck. No, our Lord got up. Like mama used to get up on Easter morning and Sunday morning and make dinner before she went to church, right? Jesus got up. So when you come, all you have to bring is your empty heart and soul and let him feed you. That is why religion can make you weary. We're not talking about religion. Jesus went to the grave and religion was alive and well. As a matter of fact, religion put him in the grave and on the cross. 
Religion caused Jesus to go to the cross, but relationship with you is why he rose again. Right? You know what John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life means that God gave Jesus so that he could simply and profoundly rest with us, love us, and spoil us with his grace with less and less distractions until he comes back and gets us when there'll be no more distractions to us sitting around with him and each other. I'm going to close with a fishing story. We went on a fishing trip with my aunt when I was younger. And my younger brother, Terrence, four or five years younger than me, went fishing with me, and I was the expert, right, at 12 or something, because I had been fishing. I'd already been fishing, and I had caught fish before. But that particular day, he caught the only fish. As much as I tried to make him throw it back, because it's such a little fish, insignificant. I even tried to use the, you know, humane society thing on him, you know. You got to throw that fish back so nobody can see because, wait, you, you got to throw it back because that fish needs to grow up. It's a baby fish. As much as I tried to bring, make him throw it back, he wanted to take home to show mama. This dumb little one fish. She could tell I was just jealous. And I somehow schemed with daddy that that was perfect, a perfect fish for his garden. Daddy, just take it and bury that fish. I mean... It's for nature, right? Take that dumb little fish and bury that thing. We won't ever see it again, right? Just get rid of that fish. Don't let mama see it. Just, just get rid of it. You just want to show off. Get rid of that fish. My mom saw his sorrow. She saw his emptiness. Because she had made dinner, starting to make dinner. He just sat looking at that empty plate. She made me and daddy go and dig that fish up. She washed it. She cooked it. And to this day, my brother says, that's the best fish he ever had. <laughs> Even though it only took one bite to eat it. It was the best fish he ever had because it fed him rest. Rest for his soul. Rest because it showed you're important. You're loved. God sees you. 
You have community. God even has admiration for you. Jesus was despised as the lowest and judged and condemned on the cross by the jealous and sins of a powerful world and buried to deal with him and put him away as just a little trouble. But the Bible tells us on the third day, God the Father dug him up with us. And he rose. And he feeds us. And it's central to our fellowship and fulfillment. And God did this to relieve the anxiety of feeling empty and forgotten and mistreated and life not meaning anything. To simply have us rest with him. Know and feel his love. Experience his mercy and grace. Jesus rose. He came out of the grave so that he can simply enjoy us and us enjoy him. That's the resurrection rest of Jesus Christ. Urge you today. Some of y'all just visiting because it's Easter. Just trying to throw your net at one more place. Do you see it's Jesus on the shore? <laughs> He's not a stranger to your struggle. He's not estranged from you growing up religious. You rejecting all that stuff. You having emptiness. He's urging you to come, not to the potluck of grace, but to the fullness of God's grace. Come empty and let him fill you. It's okay to be desperate again. Come desperately, like with nothing, like Peter almost did, naked, right? Because they used to strip down to their drawers to fish, right? Just Come on, there's no shame in it if you're coming to Christ. But I promise you, there will be plenty of shame and condemnation if you run to, to, to what is a true, true, true stranger uh, to your struggles, uh, someone who can't fix it. You don't have to know. You don't have to be theologically sound. Come with empty nets and let Christ fill you. Some of us have given up. Marriage is too hard. Relationships are too difficult. Singleness is too hard. Can't find rest, so I'll throw my nets over here. Not where Christ told me where I want to. I'm just tired. We want to get out. We want the other person to get out. Some of us. We're disappointed in our children. feeling hurt God wants you to sit at his table again stop trying to pot luck your life he got up to make a meal for the empty the cynical the questioning the empty netters right not nesters netters right It's a resurrection rest.
of Christ. We'll continue our Easter series next week and for a couple more weeks after that. Just to, what lessons uh, do we learn from the resurrection? We've learned today that we rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your resurrection rest. Lord, we've tried to outsmart you, outsmart ourselves. In trying to fix our emptiness. Lord, you came for people whose work has not worked, whose lives have not worked out the way they thought. You rose again, not to get the perfect people. You rose again, not get to get the people who had it together or have a bunch of people who get it together. You rose again to get everything necessary to bring people together with you. I pray for the hearts right now who don't know you. They're just realizing right now, wow, empty heart, empty nets, empty purpose, empty life. And all the work, nothing. Lord, I pray that you reveal that. I pray that they hear you call from the shore. Children, do you have anything? Have you finally caught what would make you happy? I pray that our hearts would be honest to say no. Show yourself as a resurrected Lord to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.